Welcome to Living With, a podcast about the stories and people behind Health Union. Health Union integrates the power of human connection and technology, uniting people in the shared experiences of life with chronic health conditions. I'm Emily Downward. I recently spoke to Doug Sparling, an advocate for ProstateCancer.net. Doug was diagnosed with stage 4 prostate cancer. Stage 4 means the cancer has metastasized, or spread, to other parts of the body, and metastatic cancer is incurable. But it is treatable, and some people can live for years with effective treatment. Yeah, my mom died of of, uh, cancer in 2015, cancer of the appendix, which is kind of weird, but but going through that experience was, was really kind of prepared me for what I'm going through in my own life um, because I was with there when she took her last breath. And it's, you know, in this culture, I think, you know, death is one of those things we don't, it's off in the future, you know, it's not something we really discuss or are around. Yeah. So my mom did hospice at home. We were all there with her. And though it was, you know, it was, it was sad, but it was, it, I don't know. It just, it was, very poignant, very moving. I just it, it, I think it really prepared me for what I've, I've been going through. If I hadn't had that opportunity to be with my mother, I think I would have seen things differently now with, with what I'm going through. Mm. Yeah, I think that's such a gift to be with someone at the end of their life like that. It's a gift yeah, for them, it, but it's also a gift for you. Yes, it is. And, you know, you've heard the cliche, but it's really true. Oh, you know, she's suffering. She's gone to a better place, all that. It really was a relief, you know. At her last week or two was just, it was painful mm. for us and for her, literally painful for her. Um, but being that close to someone, I was with my sister. We didn't really have a super close relationship, and that really brought us together. You know? And my sister helped me a lot after my initial diagnosis uh, because I was pretty lost after that, you know, I think a lot of people diagnosed with cancer, especially stage four, that first I don't know, hundred days, three months is, is really tough because uh, you're going through the acceptance and trying to uh, just plan. But yeah, that's just a very tough time. So how did you find out you had prostate cancer? Um, there are some typical symptoms and I had some, you know, I had some lower back pain and I just kind of, blew it off. It's like, oh, I'm getting old, um, whatever. But I started having trouble, you know, going to the bathroom, like urinating. And, and I said, oh, you know, uh, it was probably just something. I might have had a large prostate before. And so I, I should have really at that point done something, but I didn't. And it got to the point where one night I couldn't go at all and, and really freaked me out. And, you know, it hurt. <laughs> and I was finally able to go, but it took a lot of effort. And then the next day I went to my GP told him what was going on. And so we did the blood test. That was on a Friday. And the weird thing is like a Saturday through the portal, through the doctor's office, they had put my lab results, except for the PSA and a glass kind of weird. You know, why do I have all this other stuff when all I care about is my PSA? And then Monday morning, I'm at work and I happen to be in the bathroom and I get a call. I see the number and I pick it up. And he said, I didn't put it on the portal because your PSA is 5,306. Like, that's amazing. I mean, that's, you know, four is kind of the cutoff for getting bad. And right. 
Yeah, or five thousand. I didn't even know it got that high. And I've, since then, I've met people with food nine or ten thousand. Very few, though. Oh my goodness! Um, so I just you know that whole numb feeling, and I went straight to my boss that I'm taking two weeks off, and I told him what had happened. I was, you know, my boss has since left, but he he was kind of my champion through a lot of this. So I went home for two weeks, and then the whole thing started. Next thing you know, I have a CAT scan, and I'm at the cancer center, and biopsy, and it's about as bad as it could be, you know, as far as the results of that. And so I never had the you have cancer moment. You know, a lot of people say they know where they were, three words. You know, when I had the 5,000-plus PSA, I mean, it was pretty much we knew that that was serious. I mean, really, really serious. And and so when I went in for my uh, biopsy, it was a urologist, and he looked at my chart. He goes, oh, you know, and when I say this, he had very good bedside manner. We had a really good relationship. He said, oh, you know, I can almost guarantee this is going to be, you know, stage four cancer. Mm. And when they did the, the biopsy, you know, we took 14 cores. All cores were pretty much all cancer. Yeah, it was it was shocking, but in a way, I think they had a lot of, denial working for me <laughs> which i don't think is a bad thing at the beginning it's it's a type of coping strategy right and it has its place yeah I, um you know obviously it's not a good way to live but you know i just had to really absorb that diagnosis like one day i'm pretty much fine and the next day whoa you got uncurable cancer um and, you know that's that's a lot to take in. Then I had to do the chemotherapy on top of that and the hormone therapy. So it was a, that winter was rough. You know, it was just, I think mentally it was the, the worst part was the mental aspect of it, which I think is kind of true with, with cancer a lot. I mean, you get used to, I suppose, you know, scans and, um, chemo, all the, the treatments and things, which aren't necessarily pleasant, but just the mental part, you know, that really is, is, hard to handle I think and so what helps you cope with that I did a few things fortunately at the cancer center they part of the team they they for no charge do they have an oncopsychologist which is generally a, a PhD student and so I started going and the, the woman I have had and still have actually just for a few more months she was uh, we she saved my life, I really think. So she was fantastic. So I went through a really dark two or three months. Mm-hmm. So that was one thing. And before that, I had done a lot of meditations and things like that. Um, so it helped me kind of deal with the overwhelming fear and anxiety that comes with that. It's just, again, the first two or three months were just a really hard period. I've heard people say, and it's funny because I felt it before I ever read about it, but, you know, you feel like you're, there's a wall between you and everybody else, um, or, and you can't reach over there. That's your former life. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a tough thing to go through, and it really took me until I got out of chemo before my mental state calmed down. Chemo affects your brain as well, right? Oh, yeah, it does a lot. Um, and I don't know if it's because it was a different chemo, or just things are going in my life at the time, or just being you know, diagnosed and not really knowing a whole lot about it. Um, yeah, I, of course you have the chemo brain, the foggy brain, um, and I stayed home pretty much throughout those three months or so, and 
just because of our family structure and some special need kids and all that, why I was home a lot by myself, like days. And that, well, that leads a lot of your brain thinking things, you know, just all these things went to your brain. So yeah, that was tough. Tell me about your support group. Yeah. And I, I go to a place and they have two support groups. Um, they split it up between non-metastatic and metastatic cancer. And I remember I started going right after my diagnosis or, and to the, the non-metastatic group. I was terrified of the, uh, of the uh, metastatic group. You know, like my, I didn't want, I didn't want to see my scans. I didn't want to know anything. Don't give me a diagnosis. Um, so I had to build up courage to go to this metastatic group. But once I did, it was like the best thing I ever did. And there's generally, you know, six to eight people. And it's about 50-50 men and women. Um, oddly enough, most of the men have prostate cancer, age for prostate cancer. And then with the women, it's a lot of breast cancer, one with pancreatic, one with ovarian, uh, one with lung cancer. So it, there's a lot of different types of cancer, but, you know, we find a lot of common ground. And, and we, we share a lot of info, like um, what we do at appointments, or, you know, the medications we're taking, all that kind of thing, and, and doctors that we think are good and all that. So I really like that group a lot. We really become very, very close. Yeah. So how is your daily life now affected by the cancer and its treatment? I do have, you know, trouble walking sometimes. I haven't, generally when I wake up in the morning, I have a lot of pain, a lot of numbness. And, you know, just, and so I take my pain medication first thing in the morning and generally that's fine. So, you know, it's, I go upstairs. It takes me a little bit longer than it used to. I mean, I'm obviously struggling when I do it, but I, I can do it. Um, I still try to walk mile or two every day if I can. So now that I'm off chemo, I feel pretty much back to normal mentally because, you know, I quit writing. I quit doing almost everything because I just couldn't do it. And I tend to be kind of a perfectionist, which made it even worse. So I just said, okay, I'm going to wait till I feel better. So that's why I started an article for prostatecancer.net on clinical trial. And once I started the clinical trial, I quit writing because I couldn't. Really, so mm. I'm, I'm, I'm right now. I'm kind of catching up with all that, so I, I feel back where I can do that again. And are you still working? But, yes, uh huh. Um, I'm off today because I could have gone to the spine center for uh, consultation. Um, but yeah, I worked through this this time. The first time I did not work. I remember going in a few times and it was just horrible. And this time, I worked through the whole thing. And I might have missed a day or two here and there. I didn't feel good. But for the most part, I, I worked every day through all, through all the chemo, which was, you know, it was six cycles yeah, once every three weeks. So, you know, it was like three months or so. It, it gave me a sense of normalcy going to work. You know, it's like yeah. that routine that we have. And, and I struggle with given, I mean, I'm not super old, but like, okay, you know, in theory, I probably may not live. 10 years, you know, I mean, the survival rate for even five years is fairly low, but I also realize there's statistics and a lot of the men in those studies are much older than me. So there's, you know, I don't put a lot of, you know, I'm going to be an outlier in those stats, but, um, and I'm sorry, take this part out, chemo brain, I forgot where where I was. It's fine. No, no worries. Uh, um, 
I didn't take that part out because after our conversation, Doug specifically asked me to keep it in to serve as an example of how chemo can affect a person's brain. The side effects, known as chemo brain, affect each person differently, but may include difficulties with memory or concentration. Chemo brain can range from mild to more significant. For most people, the effects of chemo brain improve after treatment is finished, but some people experience long-lasting effects. Has the treatment worked to reduce the tumors, and how is it? How is yeah your... okay? Yeah, every you know stage four prostate cancer is totally different from stages one through three. Um, so stage four, you know, you're looking at a systemic you know, the cancer has left the bar and it's all over you. In my case, it was my spine and a bone scan. You know, black is where the mets are, and my spine is just black. So I asked well, my oncologist once, well, how many METs do I have? And she kind of looked at me. And by by now, I don't mind looking at the scans. She showed it to me. It's just like black from top to bottom. Oh, man. And then, yeah, then on, then on my ribs, um, it's my pelvic region a little bit. And that's pretty typical. Um, fortunately, you know, nothing like, let me start going to the liver and things. I haven't got there yet. So amazingly, though, for all that bone metastasis, I really don't have much pain. Um Back to your question. Um, so, yeah, I went in with a PSA of 5,306. And as a biopsy, they give a thing called a Gleason score. So I had a Gleason score of 9, which is bad. And I looked at the individual samples of 14 cores. They were all 9s and 10s, which is bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so my, my cancer was high volume, you know, very aggressive. And so we did... As I mentioned, it was a charted trial, a clinical trial that had done a few years ago that showed the efficacy of doxytaxel with Lupron, which is the hormone therapy, together was, you know, like I said, the efficacy was much better. So that's what I did. And I went from 5,306 on the PSA all the way down to 22, which is, like, you know, that's a substantial jump. Yeah. And 22 still there is most people with 22, they'd be freaked out but now it was good for me but then my PSA started going back up so line one treatment quit working which was more or less I'd already gone off the chemo so I was just on the Lupron and sometimes it works for a few months like it did for me and sometimes it works for a year or two but I started at such an outrageous place that it just is amazing that it did what it did so at that point we switched to clinical trial which is all second line medication so it was a different chemo, um, the Bazitaxel, the, the Gypton, I think is the brand name, and the Zytiga. And my TSA had gone up to 55 before we tried the trial. And after one cycle of, of chemo and just three weeks of the medicine, it went down to seven. Wow. Which had never been, been that low. And then it just kept getting lower. So the last time I was in, it was... Oh, what was it? Zero point nine seven, I think. So I'm below one now. Wow, that's great. Yeah, and that's pretty amazing. So now the thing is, will it keep working? Right. Which I hope it does. Um, and actually, even my my uh, metast my mets have have shown some diminishing. I had some lymph nodes that were questionable, and they're back to normal. So even on that side of it, it's, it's 
been affected. But I will never not have meds. That's not going to go away. Um, that's just part of the deal. But but yeah, the PSA is down to probably better than I've had it in years. Well, that's some good news. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, it's amazing. When I went in, you know, first the first chemotherapy and hormone therapy, my PSA was so high, it almost couldn't do anything to get better. And we kept having these victories. Oh, it went from 5,000 to 2,000. You know, that's the cut in half, 2,000 to 1,000, 1,000 to 700. It kept going down. And so I came to expect, oh, it's going to be better. It was going to go in. And then it went back up. Yeah. And so that's the first time it hits you like, oh, yeah, you know, this can happen. Your, your medicine's keeping you alive, and sometimes it quits working. And so that was not as big a shock as being diagnosed, but it was a very strange feeling. And then, of course, it went in the second line, and it's been very effective. So it should last longer, but we'll see. You know. And, you know, when Jeffrey said something on a previous podcast, it really it hit me when he said, I don't say it's made me a better person. It's made me a different person. I, mean, mm-hmm. I really, really thought about that. And I think, yeah, that's, that's really how I feel about it, um, because I am a very different person. Mm. Um, how has it changed you? Um, a couple years ago, you know, I pretty much was one of those people that's staying on, on, you know, outside looking in, did talk a lot. And now I have, you know, become an advocate. I've, I've done, uh, research group thing. I do, I do this program at, at KU Cancer Center and all, them along with this other one called Midwest Cancer Alliance, which is in Kansas City area um they have a thing called pivot program which is like a patient advocacy program and i don't remember what pivot stands for um but you get to meet with researchers and so i've got into that um i'm a volunteer or i guess they call it an angel mentor with immerman angels where uh, people who have similar cancer they call and say i need to talk to somebody about some issue with that and so i do that um I'm doing this. I never would have done this two years ago. But so it's it's really yeah. It has given me an appreciation of life and the shortness in, of life. I mean, what I'm going through is, is normal, but just maybe a little sped up. Um, but yes, it did bring that. Wow! I should every day. You know, it's like today I got up. Victory. You know, it's like it's it's really it's beautiful. It really is. Um, mm. So tell me about your artwork. Yeah, um, I kind of came up with you know, like the lemonade, lemon lemonade thing. But, you know, when life gives you cancer, make art. <laughs> so what I do is the, the NCI, they have public domain images of all sorts of stuff. So pretty much what I did, I'd take those and then I would manipulate them to make them. I, I think sometimes cancer cells on that look like art already. Um, but I wouldn't manipulate them. And sometimes I do it for hours, you know, so it really gave me a thing to focus on and for those two hours. I no longer had cancer, you know, it's just so absorbed and, and doing the work. Um, and I couldn't paint anything like this, you know, but I am a software engineer, so I've kind of drawn towards, that kind of thing. So I manipulated these photos with, you know, software. Um, 
and that's it. I I think your art is really stunning, and I I love the ones that I'm really drawn to are the ones that make it look like a mandala. Oh yeah, uh huh. And I do a lot of this, um, and that is kind of my thinking in a way. It's a mandala, so you can't blow on it and make it go away. But so yeah, it's, it's, it takes me. Like I said, sometimes when I try to find a new manipulation pipeline or what you want to call it, you know, because I, I do a lot of things to manipulate the photos. So it takes a long time to find a new process, I guess you want to call it. And, and I, yeah, so a lot of them are mandala-like, you know, some are a little bit abstract, but yeah, it just, just hours are just fabulous. Yeah. Mm. I, just, I also like it because cancer is is a part of our bodies, right? Like it's, it's grow, it grows and creates from our bodies. So some people talk about like the war on cancer or I'm going to fight this. And it's very much like this war analogy. It, it's a part of you. So it's almost like you're fighting with yourself. So I've heard other people with cancer that are living with cancer talk about, they need to find a way to accept this and work with it rather than against it. And I think your art kind of does that for me. Yeah, exactly. I, that's that's a good good observation because I, I agree with that. Uh, I mean, that's something I didn't knowingly, but yeah, um, I've I've even heard someone. I think it was from a book, but they talked about. I don't hate my cancer. I I love my cancer. I tell it I love it, you know, because it's part of my body. And but yeah, it is part of yourself. And and I'm not big on the warrior survivor all that stuff i don't use a terminology if i can help it um so yeah because it is part of your body yeah Um, it's just basically cells are dividing out of control but it's still your body so yeah this the artwork is just me leaving behind something hey this is really it's just me well, I mean, I get some from NCI. I don't really have any artwork myself or, or scans of myself to work with. But, yeah, I mean, this is what's inside there. I just made it look a little better. Yeah, well, I, I think it's One, beautiful. Not. It's, yeah, it's Thank you. Thank you. Very inspiring. Yeah, it's something that I just, like everything, I, I'm very, uh, um, I think the name of the word, but, yeah, so it's, it's pretty spontaneous. Things just kind of come. I don't know where this came from. I just started doing it. I'd like to thank Doug Sparling for sharing his story with me. To read Doug's articles and join the conversation, visit prostatecancer.net. You can also find Doug's artwork on Instagram at canceresart. Thank you for listening to Living With. I'm Emily Downward.